Um, well, let's dispense with the formalities here and gavel this to order, Aaron Dyer. Miss <coughs> Oh, okay. I just did. I just did an exercise class, so I'm, um, you know, looking ravenous. <laughs> you have a glow about you. <laughs> a sheen. Um, what was your exercise, what was your exercise class? Um, I've been doing this exercise class with a bunch of musicians and like recording engineers and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, since I think last September. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's just online. It's called the South Brooklyn. What is it? SB exercise. Whatever. SBCEC is what they call it. (laughs) And it's just online. And it's like, it's pretty, it's nice. It's been predictable and same people made friends. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I need to get, I'm, I'm starting to get back on the train (laughs) of the, uh, this last year was pretty, well, first of all, Aaron, how are you? Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, and Josh. I want to apologize for uh, sort of tacitly ghosting you. Me over and over. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Fine. Well, yes. Um, you know, but, I just assumed that um, you had well, died, really. So. Well, luckily I didn't. Um, That's good. Yeah. But I also, uh, yeah. So it's been a hell of a hell of a year, and we've been texting privately about just. You know, um, stuff. What do you want to, what do you want to choose? What fat do you want to chew today, my friend? Well, I think in our last text, when we talked, I was, cause I was like nudging you. I was like, when are we going to talk? And then you're like, oh, you again. No, very few people are always like, are like actually want to talk to me on a podcast on a regular basis. So I I appreciate (laughs) it. I'm genuinely grateful, but (laughs) go ahead. Sorry. Um, well, I think I had talked about feeling or wanting to talk about, um, aging out or yeah, aging out of music, aging out of the industry. Um, and I think that that's just something I've been thinking about for, um, at least a couple of years for until now, um, I'm 41. So am I. Yeah. We're, I think we knew that some, somewhere in our brains, we were aware of this Mm -hmm. and just. You know, I think it's, mm, I think about being uh, female and uh, aging out of music because I think it's really hard for women to um, keep respected or stay respected um, into their older age. And I know there are a lot of women who are still respected, but I think just it's been, it's something that I've seen happen more than um, more in my lifetime than perhaps someone who's younger than me, who is seeing more recognition for women mm-hmm. at this time. Right. It's, yeah. It's like this weird, well, this is, this is the sort of internal strife I have of like, how much do I, like, how do you acknowledge progress? Uh-huh. But also acknowledge the current reality that we're in and see yourself on a timeline of evolutionary progress, you know? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I mean, the stuff I'm hearing you say is that it feels that you, that maybe I'm mishearing what you're saying, but you're sort of w- women, or at least what in your experience are in this phase of like, um, what is it, um, Indiana Jones, where they like they switch the sand for this for the te- for the idol, you know? And yeah. It's like that moment is so treacherous, and it's like right now that that that's kind of feels to me just post me not post me to we're still in 
the Me Too thing, but post the start, the real start of the social awareness of that is my what I was trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that's also the time when all the arrows come out of the walls and like all the shit, you know, like all the other shit that happens. And it's like, but I, but I have faith that in thirty years things will be a notch better. It's just, that's sure. When I'm 70, things will be a notch better. And by the time I'm 70, I'll definitely be fucking aged out. (laughs) Nobody wants to see a 70 year old woman, unless you're like Aretha Franklin, unless you are soul, unless you are like deep country. Like, yeah, I want to see Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton has been around for how long has she been around? (laughs) Like they've both for a long time since the freaking, sorry, I don't know how long. (laughs) I want to say 60s, but I know that I'm wrong. Say eons. <laughs> say eons. Then uh, eons. Just, yeah, yeah. Like they were here when they were when they were like in their early like late teens, early 20s, right? Is when they started getting recognized. Like they've been around and they've created such a legend of themselves, and that's that's huge, and that's what keeps their. Uh, that's yeah, that's their. Oh shoot, what's the word? Not legend. Their um. Not success, legacy. Mm. And I think, um, like, uh, yeah, I don't have children, mm-hmm. but I also don't really have that legacy. And I think not seeing it, or maybe not, maybe I'm in a position where I just can't see what I do have sometimes. And that's, that's the hard thing. It's like, would- where, where do I have to stand in my life in order to see what I've accomplished and like be super appreciative. Cause like so many people are like, love yourself and like be proud and like love all the stuff that you've done. And, and yeah. And I can say, yeah, I've done a lot of stuff, but it's hard to have that kind of perspective and be proud of it and, um, and see that forward momentum. And yeah. What, what do you do? Well, I don't know. And back in that cycle. Well, and just to the stuff you're saying right now is all stuff if you take gender out of it for two seconds, mm-hmm. it's all stuff I identify with too. Like, I don't like, where do you stand? How do you, how do you, how can you self uh, assess? What's, mm-hmm. how do you do the autopsy on what your career has been this thus far when you are the body, <laughs> you know? Right. And your work is the thing that's on the table. Um, I would only, and I'm speculating here, but like folks, like you mentioned, like Dolly partner, Aretha Franklin, like when they were 41, I imagine their legacy was just as out of reach for them as it was for you in terms of what they felt their impact. Now, right. All that is Aretha and Dolly are maybe just they're bad examples because they're like, well, how about Tina Turner? Even Tina Turner's a bad example. I mean, you're like naming, you're naming, well, no, no, no. Well, I mean, in the sense that like you're naming like human jet engines that are like, (laughs) but that's the thing. Like that, that's, that's their, they worked. They weren't like, they maybe had children, but they weren't at home taking care of the children. They were working and they had a very different um, uh, life style, if you want to call that, um, than, than a lot of people. And I think I've done the same thing. I have uh, prevented myself from, from even thinking that children were a possibility because I'm focused on this one train and I'm... Kids? Grabbing onto that train as fast as much as I can. What do you want? Sorry, sorry. Do you want kids? 
I have always gone back and forth between wanting them and, and not wanting them because like, well, if I have them, I will become a mother. Like that's, that's just what happens. Like you don't, I, I don't see a lot of examples of women. I see really uh, successful women with children, successful women with children and money. Mm-hmm. But I don't see a lot of women in my position becoming successful beyond like if, if I were to have children now, it just wouldn't like there's no I can't I wouldn't be able to balance. It would have to be one or the other mm. for me. Well, that's a, that's an important I've, thing. I mean, I, 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 I've, I don't have kids either. And I mean, I'm saying this and like, of course, like if, if Stephanie and I had a child tomorrow which would be a really fast timeline. Um, <laughs> the truth is, um, the the biological fact is, is that that baby needs Stephanie more than it needs me. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I could be at the hospital, she could shoot that baby out, and I'd be like, I'm going to Holland, you know, like, I'm going to play a show with Buke and Gase and get like $432. Isn't that great? Like, um, <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> But... That, that's just like the biological truth that I think yeah. a lot of men, it's just like it's never crosses our mind. It's not, there's no like, at least from my standpoint, there's not a like act of malice, like sitting there and take care of the baby. But like, no. it's just the, it's just the reality. And I think, I think I'm saying that because I think guys need to just have an awareness of like Aaron Dyer has a baby. There's at least nine months of gigs where you're at least thinking about this baby constantly, <laughs> you know, or 10 months. And then yeah. afterwards... There's You're not thinking about anything. Are you pumping? Are you like? Are you playing gigs with Aaron? Are you? Do you have to pump before the show? Like, oh my god, nothing pumped out. Like now I have <laughs> to. Fi- now I'm in. I'm in Sweden, and I need to find like. Oh, uh, uh, like, can I get my baby on the plane? Is my baby have the vaccine card? Do I? What's that? Like, all of a sudden, it becomes. Yeah. Raw help. It's, it's just impossible, and it's what? it sounds impossible. I know that it has happened. I know that there are people who have done it. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh, I, I don't like it's a really rough scenario. And I also see kids who have been through that kind of scenario, that kind of upbringing, mm. being a little bit like uh, a little bit chaotic, <laughs> to say the least, you know, I, and I'm not trying to say that everyone turns out that way. And I, I yeah. you know, I recognize that it's a very individual thing. And I'm, I'm I apologize for blanketing it in that statement. And I guess it's my. It's my own insecurity thinking of it that way, right? I mean, I think that's any of our fears about hypothetical stuff down the line because of a decision we make is all based, and justifiably so, in fear and insecurity because it's an unknown. Um, But let me ask you, let me rewind a little bit. Like, I I think I feel like what I'm hearing you saying is self, I'm a self-deprecating person. And I'm like, I'm every time I practice by myself, I'm like, you're a fat fuck, and like, you stupid piece of shit. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hard on myself. Sorry, I mean, I don't actually take that seriously, but it's like, I my first place is to blame myself. Um, uh, me too. Why, why is it that? <laughs> Calling balls and strikes. You are a singular voice in a field that doesn't have a lot of female voices in it. You are a creative musician who can function in almost any scenario you're put in, whether it's with people who only read music or only do this and, or classical music. And then there's strong choir and there's all these other things that like no one else is doing. And so 
if in 80 years, when you're 80, there is to be a legacy left on that particular branch of the wave function of the universe, like that is Aaron Dyer, yeah. then the only way for that legacy to exist is for you to stick with it. Yeah. Because no one else, no one else is going to, no one else is doing it. No. And that's why I can't have kids. <laughs> but <laughs> well, then, I, yeah. well, then there's all these other things. Okay. So, and I've seen in your, so <laughs> you asked me to think of some questions for you and I was like, Oh, well, what's the best way to do this? So I went onto your Instagram <laughs> Oh God! And like, and I see that like, uh, you know, a huge part of your, a, a huge part of what you do is supporting the pan oh, yes. orchestras. Yes. Good. I'm glad that's what you gathered from my Instagram. I was well, yeah, yeah, no. Also being humorous and also making sure that people who follow you are just taking life a little less seriously and like watching fart videos and infrared. And <laughs> I mean, that was good, right? It was I mean, really good. I feel like, <laughs> like I think. The thing I loved about it is that real farts look like cartoon farts. Yeah. It's the, un- it's like literally the only thing that is, is like in high humanity naturally. That is the uncanny Valley that you look at. And yeah. you're like, Wait, is that a cartoon or is that real? Yeah. Is that real? Did somebody just make that? No. But then you see the people stop and they're like looking at their phone and then they look around and then they let it out. Oh yeah. It's so good. The one guy like shakes his leg too. afterwards. Sorry, go ahead. But I didn't see anybody wave it away. I wanted to see it get wo- waved away. Anyway, towards you. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Anyways, the reason why I brought up your Instagram is because, and the pan orchestras is because uh, steel pan orchestras is because, like, at this point, I feel like a lot of what I've like starting at thirty five, age thirty five, I focused a lot more or thought more about nurture. Mm. And like, I don't know if that's just a desire to, yeah, a desire to pass torches to support other people. And, um, and I see that that's what you're doing in your, uh, uh, I don't know the word, in your efforts to support the steel pan mm-hmm. orchestras. So like, is that, is that something that you would think, uh, vibes correctly with you? Do you feel like in your, in whatever? Yes. Yeah, I mean, it. I would, uh, no, it's a, I don't know exactly. Not a podcast person. I, no, I feel like, like, just a side note, I think you and I need to start a podcast, like hmm. a legit separate podcast that is a, a new entity, because I feel like our ratatat would be is humorous. But um, anyway, I'm not sure exactly what your question is, but well, um, it's about nurture. Do you feel? Do you feel like a sudden drive for nurture, a drive to nurture? I. Hmm. I, I think you. Go ahead. I would say I, I don't know that it was like a conscious like I need to do this now, but it was again like more of a slow like changing of the bag from like things I was I was experiencing as a student, you know, coming up through grad school at Yale and then getting started to teach steel band at NYU. Um, basically, like I was still an Ohio boy. Like all my connections were Ohio. Everything I knew about Pan was from Ohio and Trinidad. I didn't really know the Brooklyn scene at all. And I just got like, for all of whatever, all of the reasons are like, I, you know, this white kid from Ohio was plucked out of Yale and dropped at NYU with all the privilege, all the stuff. Like the thing I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm good at where my weaknesses are, where my, where my strength is, is I know what I'm bad at. And as soon as I got dropped in that, in that scene, it was immediately apparent to me that like, Oh wow. Okay. This is the culture vibe, cultural vibe that I felt when I was in Trinidad. I never felt that in Ohio. Um, not 
no value judgment. It's just that it didn't exist really. And I, but I didn't know how to tap into it. I didn't know necessarily like what was my responsibility there. I just had this feeling of like, this is different. And over time, the more I sort of like brought in people to, to help me do the things I'm shitty at, <laughs> you know, like I was like, oh wow. Like Kendall Williams, my friend Kendall, who now teaches with me at NYU in Princeton was a student at NYU. And maybe it sounds kind of selfish, but I'm just like, he just is going to make this all better. If I just let him, if I empower him in this room to, to do the thing that he's grown up since he was six doing, you know, yeah. um, it doesn't mean I'm abdicating my response or my skill set. Like I know a lot about pan and I can teach a room full of kids about the history of pan without having a, a Trinidadian person in the room. But I think in that moment of like when knowledge is being exchanged, especially like, um, not cultural knowledge, but just the like. I, you know, I'm going to smell a certain way when you're in a pan yard and there's going to be like the way I, the slang I use, like, or blah, 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 like all that stuff was really important. And so I felt a responsibility growing early on to sort of just like tap into that. And over time it, it became something I felt like I needed to, because there was an awareness that other steel band educators, like my colleagues were not able to experience that thing. I felt it was like, okay. I need, I need to sort of like put this up there. So other, I need to push this up on a hilltop. So my friends over in Ohio can see this. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yes, totally. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I have one question. Did you say you're going to smell a particular way? It was, did you reference the way you smell? Me, sorry. Meaning, meaning when you walk into a different, like if you walk into an Indian home, yeah. you're going to smell things differently than you did if you tried to make Indian food at your own house, you know, oh. like with, with yeah. out of a recipe book, you know, like, there's just things that are burnt into the walls and the carpet in, in somebody's home who's from India. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and I think in Trinidad, it's like when you're in a pan yard, there's just ways the air moves differently. There's ways interactions happen. Um, olfactory sense, ol- olfactory memory and, and um, uh, yeah, organization. <laughs> so anyway, it, to me, that was, yeah. I mean, it's all, it's all the dumb stuff. I mean, this sounds like very trivial or, and I don't want to be glib about it, but it's like, if you've never been around dreadlocks, like you can either read about them, look or at be pictures. terrified to ever ask any questions about it. Or <laughs> you can be a student at NYU and stand right next to somebody who has dreadlocks and understand that, the oils and the stuff that they put, they use are different than what I put in my beard. And that, that like all of those things are, it's just, those things are important to me and yeah. they're important for my students. So um, that's what I meant by that. That makes a lot of sense. So does that, I mean, I don't know if nurture is the word, but it's, it's just like uh, tending the garden I can touch, I guess is the thing. Like for me, it's like, that's, I can't really fix policing in Minneapolis I live mm-hmm. in Manchester and it's like, I can't fix steel band culture worldwide. I can really just be like, you know, if you just stood two feet over here, this whole thing's going to look great, you know, and feel great. Um, so that's been my approach. And I'm, I'm hoping that after 50, 60 years of that approach, I'm rolling the dice. I'm hoping it's the right approach, but, but we'll see. Yeah. I really love that. Even the concept of tending the garden you can touch. Stephanie, my, my wife, did took some Buddhism class when she was at seminary. And that was one thing that really stuck in her craw. And it's like, it's the thing I I feel like, especially after this last year where 
when I talk, when we, when I've been texting you about like the trauma and just the like not feeling myself, and it's really been that Facebook is everyone's garden. Mm-hmm. It's a rainforest, <laughs> <laughs> and it's raining all the time, you know, and you're just drenched yeah. when you get in there, and so like it, and somebody's told you that the forest is on fire in at Cup, Cup Foods in Minneapolis. But again, like the reality is, is I'm in my living room in Manchester having a nervous breakdown because I, that's a garden that's on fire and everybody's like, get your buckets. And I'm like, you know, (laughs) and that, so for me, that's, that sort of mentality is what actually reminds me to be like, you can, you can control a lot. You can help a lot of people. So rather than, you know, yes, Mm -hmm. donate to, donate to things, but like, Rather than getting on Facebook and melting down about bigots and racists, I'm going to email my friend and try to get a gig. (laughs) You know, I'm going to try to keep money flowing into people's pockets. I'm going to try to keep those sorts of things happening. And and Mm -hmm. that approach has been helpful. Um, But I but it can feel self-serving. It can feel like you're you're avoiding the big societal issues at the same time sometimes. And that's where my guilt comes. Yeah, I hear you. It can feel self-serving, but it's also it's it's a form of sanity that helps keep you. But keep, there's a weird trend too. I mean, sometimes if you say that, if you're just like, you know, I really, I need like I'm not going to participate in this particular mob panic on what, what for whatever issue. And I, I again, I don't want to be glib about mob panics because George Floyd was murdered for God's sakes. Like, yes. Um, but there's a weird pushback sometimes that like silence is violence and your complicity is is the same as it's like it's objectively not the same. <laughs> like yeah. me being okay with what happened and holding a Blue Lives Matter flag up is an objectively different thing than quietly try and tend to some things that I that I know I can, can fix control. here. Yeah. yeah, right. Uh, I think, I mean, I felt a lot of guilt for not going to, I mean, I went to one protest, mm. but I did not, um, I didn't participate. And it was mostly because I, f- <laughs> it was mostly because I rode my motorcycle into the city and I was like afraid to just leave it oh. with all of my stuff. I wasn't staying in the city and I had a bunch of stuff with me and I was just like, well, I, not that I'm worried that somebody's going to steal it, but it's like, it's a little more vulnerable than driving a car. It's just a, I mean, this but, is the, but I, let sorry, me, no. like, I just, you know, I felt really guilty for not taking part, but I've done a lot of other things that I felt were helpful, hmm. but I don't know if they were helpful. It was in, it was in the hopes that they were helpful, like donating and, and supporting friends who are near me. Right. So it was more like, yeah, I was trying to do the things that I could do without. Um, also, I felt I think going on social media and like speaking out, I did a little bit of that, but I also felt like it was not necessarily my voice that's going to make a difference. But maybe it is. I think we talked about that, too, just as as white people, as white allies to black. Uh, um. <laughs> As, as allies, mm-hmm. we need to speak out. Um, well, I think it's like, what the, what is the definition of speaking out? I mean, that's the thing. Like, what, how does, I think that stuff is subjective. I mean, I think speaking out is, is having a private conversation with a student mm-hmm. 
and not posting it on social media, not talking about how that conversation happened and what we did and why that person was wrong. And, and this like sort of, um, forced compliance that happens on social media all the time where no one can ever, you can never say anything inappropriate and then apologize for it because the apology is never good enough. Like that's just a, in terms of where I want my voice, that's a, I want my voice in, in an arena where nuance and context is part of the equation. It doesn't have to be mm-hmm. all of it. I can say something stupid right now to you. And even in the context of this, the possibility of me offending you is there. But we ha- you and I have a larger context. Mm-hmm. That That's why I do this podcast. That's why I don't. I mean, I, I posted something about Joe Rogan last night because um, there's a New York Times article about him. And... I was terrified to post it, but I was like, but the truth is, is that that podcast is the reason I'm doing podcasts. It's the reason I have so much joy in my life is because I listen to Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, yes, he's had Alex Jones on and you can be all upset about that. But he's also had Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's had Eliza Schlesinger, who's a female comedian, and they talk <laughs> yeah. like Whitney Cummings. Like there's all these people. And I, I just was like, I'm, I'm, I'm a little tired of this. Like the New York Times wrote an article. It's a mile wide and an inch deep. And we're going to decide that all of this is bad because it doesn't fit the narrative. And I'm just like, well, I'm going to redefine the narrative a little bit to be a little wider and (laughs) include more nuance and more complications. And I don't know. It's like allowing people to make mistakes is, is, is a part of growth. And like people can make mistakes. We can make mistakes. I've made many mistakes. And sometimes I make the same mistakes twice. And sometimes that's what it takes for me to learn something. Um, but that like, you know, empathy and, and patience is really important for everybody. And it's also having those conversations with people that you disagree with or reading those conversations or listening to it helps us grow, helps us learn about each other. I mean, I feel like that's so obvious. Mm-hmm. And has been talked about too, at least from what I've seen. In- can I can I ask you a question about okay. social media? And I, I want you this kind of a hypothetical, not a hypothetical, but I want you to look in the future a little bit. What is your what is your estimation if you were like based on the data I see now, and the just in the way humans are communicating that way on social media? Where do you see that? What do you see the effects of that being if you had to guess in 30 years? Like, do you see it working out for the better? Do you see it inevitably sort of destroying us all and creating a new form of government because we just can't function with these two separate ideologies, you know, Facebook and real human communication? How do you see that stuff shaping out, actually? Because we're in this evolutionary moment right now. I think this tension is all of us Mm. breaking out growing and it fucking hurts and you know right well there's a lot of growth that's happening i think that probably at some point social media is gonna have um regulations put on it i i just feel like that's gotta happen but in the meantime like outside of social media like it's just uh uh there's a you can't be entirely sure how real what's happening on social media is. And when you get into reality, 
IRL with people and you have these conversations, it's kind of like, oh, that's what you saw? Oh, okay. And then there's like another learning moment. I just imagine that, yeah, regulations will be put on social medias, but um, the society is just going to, we're just going to keep on getting further and further apart because, I mean, as QAnon kind of proves, it's like you could believe in complete bullshit. That's what, I mean, in my opinion, that's what religions and that's what religions do in a lot of ways, like in, in, in industrial institutional institutional religions are like they're myths and stories told to people over and over again that they eventually believe in so deeply that they want to control other people's lives my wife's a pastor now aaron watch yourself i i just don't i'm uh, not sorry well it's (laughs) But again, like I, this is, I'm glad, I'm glad you said that because it's something that I, I mean, I talk with Stephanie about that, that a a lot. And I think, I think it does dovetail in terms of how we perceive religions. I mean, there's historical precedents, of course, that were prior to social media, but um, one of the things that drives her the craziest is this negativity bias that social media reinforces where, you know, like the Westboro Baptist, and and then I think you went where social media meets things like the New York Times is then where where things start to gain validity that reinforce that bias. So, for example, Trump's elected. Everybody thinks that there's bands of MAGA hat wearing thugs running through every every street. The New York Times posts a picture of a high school kid standing next to a Native American man in Washington D.C with no context, no explanation of what's happening. And that kid gets death threats and now one like a $250 million lawsuit because now I, I'm not going to wear a MAGA hat ever, but when the New York times, which is all the news that's fit to print and is the, like one of the, the world standards for journalism does the thing that my crazy relative does Mm-hmm. Oof. Oof. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, because then it's then yeah. It, then then it's, don't trust him. It, well, it's not even don't trust the New York. It's that it doesn't matter at that point. It's real perception is reality at right. that point. And right. now I'm not. I'm not. I don't wake up every day being like, "Well, oh, poor that Covington kid." But I'm sorry, that's not the way things should work. Yeah. And that kid was in the right in that moment. But but then when you put social media on top of that again, to suggest that at the time, to suggest, you know, this is just a picture, right? <laughs> we have no idea what what's happening here was akin to being a bigot and a racist. And mm. you don't you're not towing the party line. And that shit terrifies me, Aaron. Yeah. Questioning or being skeptical. But that's but that's the thing. Like we have to allow for that. Like, OK, your wife is a pastor. Mm-hmm. I grew up Unitarian and the whole, like, that's a religion, mm-hmm. but like the whole point of it is to kind of learn about other people's religions and be mm-hmm. like, okay, well this, this group of people believes this particular thing and this group mm-hmm. believes this other thing and they don't really get along. 
Well, like, <laughs> even though they all basically like, believe the same thing, <laughs> but it's yeah, even though it's kind of like, well, this one's like this and this one's yeah. like that, but it's kind of it's, it's the same idea, same concept. They kind of even have the same belief systems of like how to respect each other, and but they don't get along because they're like protective. They're they're protective of who they believe in and their their um, worlds, and it's like, but that's. <clears throat> um oh okay okay do you ever hear about this book sapiens yes I for- yeah and i i started listening to it on audiobooks because i don't read anymore this is noah Yuval <laughs> harari is that right yes 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 yeah. and and i mean so i started listening to it, it was fascinating and just talking like in what i heard it was just like oh my god this is mind-blowing i love it um but yeah like humans couldn't have been this successful basically uh you know without without belief systems mm-hmm. and that's kind of the one defining thing about humans which is why we can be such a massive species on this planet um and work together even though our closest relatives the chimpanzee can only manage to keep about a hundred or so individuals yeah. together in a group because like that's that's as that's about as many as you can have 100 to 150 before like all hell breaks loose and like one person one individual is like I want to be top dog and then the other was now nah. and then there's a fight and then they faction off fraction off um and like the reason why humans were able to they're like homo sapiens our species mm-hmm. of all different shades shapes sizes <laughs> colors sizes colors you know like we could do that because of because of belief systems and and including including current belief systems which are government corporation um musical musical interests let's put that in there Mm -hmm. like like it's just i mean QAnon. it's like politics everything well this is Noah Yuval Harari. I, I think I've I've started reading that book. I haven't gotten too deep into it, but but listening, I, I do listen to some other like podcasts with like evolutionary biologists where they talk about this that humans, the human brain evolves at the speed it evolves, mm-hmm. but the human brain's ability to make technology that's farther ahead is always there like we have the creative mind is not evolving the creative mind is like in the clear doing its thing and it's like you could because you're like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna go to space like if you were just sitting around eating nuts and pulling roots out of the ground like and just trying to hide from the weather two hundred thousand years ago your brain's never gonna think i should build a spaceship like elon musk you know like and put a car in space and so so that stuff happens so slowly but we're not actually keeping up evolutionarily with what we're creating technologically. And yeah, I mean this, we human beings create falsehoods. There's evolutionary advantages to, to believing something that's not true. Right. Like for example, um, the myth that, uh, what are the porcupines throw their quills? <laughs> they, don't. they don't. No. But <laughs> when you were, if you were in, some place, some climate where there were porcupines running around. It's easier to tell your child, stay away from those things because they'll throw their quills 
that is an evolutionary lie that keeps your kids alive because they're not just going to go up and be like, what the fuck's this? You know, like, because they're going to think it's going to throw its quills. But what it does, it's kept that jet, that lineage of human beings alive. We are the human beings who didn't touch porcupines <laughs> because we yeah. believed that they would throw them at us. And right. that sort of thing. I mean, we're also, that's why we were the humans that wore masks during the 1918 flu, flu pandemic. Mm-hmm. We're the humans that wore masks and got vaccinated during COVID right. and stayed and quarantined. So that's also where belief systems can work against you. If the belief system you're basing everything on is mm-hmm. Fox News, Tucker Carlson, and the thing that mm-hmm. makes you feel like there's some oppressive force coming after you all the time to make you wear a mask, then you're actually working against yourself. Unless some kind of uh, thing like January 6th comes up. And it is actually successful. Mm-hmm. In which case you're like, yeah, I was right. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I, <laughs> yeah. I, again, like, I don't think there's no, I don't feel like there's an answer here, but I do. I, I'm very curious. I'm, I read this book called bury the chains um, by Adam Hawkschild. And I highly recommend it for anybody who Writing it down. has any interest in learning about, like if if you are if you're very passionate about the history of slavery in America, um, then you I think should be required to read this book because it is the history of the British slave trade and how mm. twelve activists in England, everybody from John Newton who was a who wrote Amazing Grace, um, was a slave ship owner and absolutely was a slave ship owner for like 30 years, but had to come to Jesus moment later in life and was like, we got to stop this. And like, it was this amazing story about this coalition of like totally different people who I, and I read, I read it. I was like, Oh man, there's no way this would happen today. <laughs> like, cause somebody would tweet that John Newton was in the room and all of a sudden the meeting's over, you know? And, but it's amazing. And the history of the Caribbean slave trade in particular um, but it got me thinking about history in terms of days. That's why I brought that up. Thinking about, like, we think history ended 100, or slavery ended 156 years ago or whatever. That feels like 156 channel changes. Like, yeah, hey, yeah, it's another, yeah, it's a generation. Well, yeah. Those are different people. It's like, well, what if I told you that slavery ended 56,000 days ago? Mm-hmm. Does that feel any different to you? It does. Yeah, right? Like, because slavery, yeah, okay, in 1838, slavery's ended in, in Great Britain. Do you think in in um, in Haiti it was in Haiti at the time? It was like Saint Domingo, Saint Domingue, I think. That they got the news now. Okay, cool. Guys, don't have to check in tomorrow. <laughs> no, they opened up and kept pulling sugar out. Mm-hmm. And then a week later, some guys were like, "Hey, I thought we were free." And they got in a fight, and then they got whipped, and they got put back. Like, and now fifty six thousand days later, here mm-hmm. we are, mm-hmm. and we have George Floyd, and it's like. Mm-hmm. You can at the same time clock the progress and be like, man, shit's definitely better than it was then. But this is this is a timeline. And it's like you wonder why why some of the African-American community is vaccine hesitant. Well, a lot of for most folks from Western Africa, where the slave trade was taking most of its cargo, their first interaction with Western medicine was a doctor, one doctor on a ship, whose job it was to wipe them down with beeswax 
and shove wads of old rope up their anuses to keep the dysentery from leaking out so that people didn't notice they were sick when they were trying to be sold. And again, it's not like when slavery has ended, the doctors were like, come on in here and get the vaccine. Let's take care of you. That sucked. No. <laughs> like, and so 56,000 days later, we have parts of the population that are like, mm-hmm. And we can joke about that and we can be like, oh, these people are stupid and they don't. Don't you believe in science? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But can't you can't you believe that someone of who might be a descendant only two people ago of, mm-hmm. of slaves like that? There might have been a few stories passed down that mm-hmm. that caused somebody to go. Ooh, every yeah, time they get we sick. hear about our grandparents right. and we probably know more about our grandparents. And I say all that not really genuinely not to be like white people should read this book and be guilty and feel guilty and walk around all day with look. But, but everyone who reads this book should be like, Whoa, like see everything. Like you're, we're just 56,000 in one days today away from that. Mm-hmm. So look around you. What is still left from 1838? <laughs> I'll bet you could find something in Hudson, New York. I'll bet I could find something in Manchester. That's like, Oh, wow. <laughs> that that post was stuck in the ground in 1832. Mm-hmm. Boy, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so anyway, when we talk about systemic stuff, we talk about how this stuff plays out. That, sorry, the, there was no question here. I just rambled for a long time, Aaron. I'm really, really sorry, but. Totally fine. It makes me think of like, I well, just the other day I was like, how many hours are there in a year? And it's something like 8,000. Mm-hmm. 8,000 and change. I was like, when you put it in that perspective, I'm like, oh, and then how many of those hours am I actually awake? Shit, I gotta get, I gotta get working. <laughs> there's only, there's not that much time. Right. And then if you put it into perspective of days and like, yeah, well, there's. I mean, when you think about like, so the moment that leads up to a thing like ending slavery, we think of ending slavery as like being this grand moment that happened in all of society was just like we're gonna sign the thing and cut the ribbon and look i'm sorry i gotta stop you it like doesn't seem that way anymore i mean i don't know if it ever seemed like well that. i'm saying when we now historically i'm saying seeing it as like a moment that happened as like okay that happened and now we're past it like those what happened is a bunch of people in a room and they were just like it's late can we get can we just start back up on this tomorrow and that's why slavery didn't end a day early Mm-hmm. You know, it's because there was like, there's only so many hours in the day and like that, how you choose to spend them. Yeah. And that leads me back, Aaron, to the beginning of what we spoke about. Cause I want to, I want to come back and push on this part. Why do you want, why do you want to leave? I feel like you don't want to do music anymore. And that makes me sad in my little Josh heart. Well, it's not that I don't want to do music anymore, but I've, um, and and also I got to preface this all which by saying that I'm doing a lot of music yeah I know that's why I'm confused (laughs) I'm currently doing a lot I do feel like it's a little bit like my last hurrah in a way though (laughs) Um, and a lot of that has to do with things that are going on at home Mm. Um, and also like just yeah no but i think about well i guess the phrase tend the garden that you can touch 
I mean, I'm in this little town and I'm seeing things change rapidly. Hudson, home of the playground of the affluent. It's just like, like it's insane. Mm. What, ha- like uh, going down the main street, there's not even, there's no ice cream stores for kids. There's no, there's no place to get ice cream in this town. And like, that means that kids who are growing up here can't just walk into town and get an ice cream. Mm-hmm. Kids who don't have a lot of money, let's put it that way. You can go and get a freaking gelato, like a hibiscus flavored gelato <laughs> or some <laughs> bullshit with alcohol, but it's not for kids, you know? It's just, and oh, it's really uh, upsetting. I've been working with the Hudson Youth Department um, on their bike, mm-hmm. with their bike co op. And it's like, I can, I get so sad. I have so much satisfaction from doing stuff like that and working with the kids. And it's for at risks, at at risk kids Mm -hmm. specifically, not just like any kid can waltz in there because a lot of kids have parents with jobs and a house and bicycles at home. And their parents have time to like go for bike rides with them. And their parents have time to teach them about their bikes if they wanted. And the kids that I'm working with don't have any of that. And some of them are uh, experiencing temporary houselessness and have lived through really traumatic upbringings. And it's, it's like, it's a different level of nurture Mm. than I've ever been able to experience in music (laughs) ever, you know, like music is such a different, it's like, especially in the last year of not having that interaction with an audience, like I don't get that feeling, that gratitude that just goes both directions nonstop. It's a circular gratitude in the performance. And uh, and not having that has, you know, fuck, brought me into some deep depressions throughout the last year. and And then also needing to change things up and find ways to feel that outside of music and uh and also what's the longevity of my process what's the longevity of being a musician and performing and touring and like it you think about i mean you you bring in all the other things like streaming and actually being able to make money as a musician unless you're top tier it's just it's like thankless in a way at least financially (laughs) <laughs> and I, I, I don't want to say that that's everything about that's like not the mm-hmm. reason why I make music, but it certainly helps when I can pay bills and like, you know, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> the, the, thing you're, the way you're talking about the like the bike program that you're and sorry, I'm, I'm bike it's program, a bike co-op a bike co-op like that. Like. I think you've, you found it. Like, I, I don't feel like you, I feel like there's something about the music career part of like your, your life that, uh, sorry, I think it can be both. Just do both. And d- don't, ex- <laughs> don't lower your expectations for the music part of it. Right. It's like, because, yes. And yeah, it, because for, <laughs> I, I was gonna, I was thinking of something while you were talking, like you were, when you were saying like the joy that you get out of, working at the bike co-op versus the joy that I think most people think people get from playing music live. Or at least the assumption is that like when I'm on stage, it's like Josh is just in an emotional heaven, like all the time. <laughs> it's like, 
actually kind of rarely. Like a lot of stress. <laughs> it's a lot of stress. It's a lot of work and it's just execution and all of, you know, and I, I'm surprised now at 41, how little joy I get out of the act of performing the thing. The reason now for me to be in so percussion is like Sosi and the food packing. It's like, those are the two things where I actually feel that circular sort of like, yep. Okay. Like I'm plugged back into myself where it can self-generate and that I don't have to do very little work. It's like a perpetual motion machine. And I finally (laughs) fucking figured it out. And humans have not been able to figure that out except I only get to do it like two weeks out of the year. Right. And, and now it's just like back to stage plots and learning a new commission. And Oh boy, isn't that fun to learn new notes? Like, (laughs) (laughs) um, but, but for you like that, you, the way you're talk, just the, like the sort of, the way you hold your head when you're talking about your bike co-op versus the way you hold your head when you're talking about music feels to me like you just need to lower your expectations of music and keep (laughs) doing the bike co-op thing full on and let the music, let the music do what it does in response to that organically. And don't feel like you have to force it. I mean, that's the, the last thing anybody, the world needs is somebody doing music or a bike co-op because they feel like they should. Oh, yeah. You know, those kids aren't going to get jack shit out of Aaron Dyer if you're there because you saw some Facebook post that said do better. And you're like, well, I got to do better. You know, like that's <laughs> this is not going to help anybody. That's just going to do good for you. That's um, weird. That's so. weird. Yeah. Can yeah, I ask I you a, a, a personal question? Okay. How does your depression manifest for you? Um. I stopped wanting to get out of bed and I stopped getting out of bed eventually. And then, uh, then I, that's like that cycle of getting mad at myself for sleeping in, mm-hmm. but I'm sleeping in because I don't know what to do with myself. And then, but then getting mad at myself and beating myself up and being really hard on myself. Cause I would say that I'm, uh, I have high expectations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, then that, you know, just kind of exacerbates the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I have taken to, if I get into that position for more than four days, um, I'll, well, I guess it's taken a little bit longer, more like two weeks. Um, but I start thinking about it at four days. I'm like, well, I should really do something about this. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> um, but, uh, but if it doesn't, stop then i'm like i'll take some i'll microdose mushrooms or try to change it up with a chemical basically Mm. um and that is just to kind of break the pattern so but then i'll go through whatever that does to me which is microdosing it doesn't doesn't like affect me long term but Mm. it does it like kind of jumps me out of the pattern and Mm. Um, and helps for a moment, which if I can then manage to become productive by like writing crazy, impossible lists of things to do, you know, mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and like, just <laughs> go for a jog, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like little, little things that I can do to make myself feel better plant. Oh, floss picks, you know, <laughs> floss, <laughs> eat, <laughs> eat, like do little things and then see the success cross it off. Um, then that, 
that helps me get into a different mindset. Then it's a matter of (laughs) actually getting myself to do work. Mm -hmm. And by work, I mean, sit in front of this computer and pretend if I can't immediately feel it, pretend that I'm being creative. Mm-hmm. So at this point, I'm in a position where I'm actually obsessing over a song mm-hmm. that I'm arranging um, for Stargaze. Mm-hmm. And that's a really amazing place to feel. And so I'm, I'm really proud of myself for having gotten to this point, And I'm really happy that I'm obsessed. And I'm, I don't know if you, you probably understand the obsession thing it's like Mm -hmm. the thing i can't stop thinking about it and i'll go to sleep with it in my head and it'll come into my dreams and then (laughs) and it gets annoying Mm -hmm. but that's such a good feeling (laughs) it's such a good thing so i'm i'm in a good place right now good Uh, how does it manifest for you (laughs) well very similarly um my my thing is uh, for me it was it started in grad school where like school would end and then I'd have this weird like postpartum I didn't understand like why is everything over like my entire the last ten months were all about this thing and now it's like wait it's just gone <laughs> like and so there would be a month where I would just lay in bed and like watch West Wing because I couldn't figure out. I just didn't know, like, and I didn't know what it was at the time. I just was like, oh, it's summer. I'm, I'm relaxing, you know? Yeah. But it would be like lay in bed under the covers with the AC on all day, mm-hmm. you know, only get up to eat a piece of pizza and then go back to bed, you know? And, but then school would start up and I would be totally fine all year. Mm. And then, and so, but then later on in life, you know, my dad passed away. It started to manifest with anxiety, like my heart would race and then like that would make me upset. And then, so like that sort of cyclical thing is sort of my constant treadmill I'm on, which is like simmering a low simmer anxiety all the time. Mm. And then like right now, the summertime is like my, I hate the summertime. I mean, I I love it for, I love it for other reasons, but I, I, it's like, it's like, I just know there's a horror movie about to come on and I have to somehow Mm. figure out how not to watch it. Cause I've been watching it since I was in grad school, you know, mm-hmm. and this year has been really bad for that. I mean, just not having any out, like not being able to get out of the house. Um, and so, yeah, it manifests in basically inaction and I just freeze. Uh, and for me, the obsession, like f- I need to like go walk, do an exercise, like get out and do an exercise, do exercise, which I don't do on a regular basis. Like I should, I'm trying to get back on that horse. If you come to SBCEC, <laughs> I will. It's at eight fifteen in the morning. Can't do are that you here. kidding me? What's up with musicians? What's up with that? Why are you falling into that stereotype? <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, um, I would say that obsession is, is for me is the, I mean, this is the, the thing when I, I see some people online posts or talk a a generation younger than mine and ours talking about like the grind and the hustle mentality as being a, a negative thing to avoid like self-care. And it's like, uh, man, listen, self-care. I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm bad at it, (laughs) but I suspect more of us than not are bad at it. And the grind is actually the balm that cures it for me. Like (laughs) it's, 
it's a way it's my lifeline out and mm-hmm. so f- to tell me that i should stop grinding it's like all right well then i'm gonna drown <laughs> the purpose yeah and so like I, I don't know do you feel like that's a healthy i think that we've probably grown we were probably raised by parents who taught us the <sighs> deep value of working our asses off in order to become successful and i think that as creatives we translated that that drive to our work but that's gotten us into a position of not being able to enjoy the grind in a way or finding that putting ourselves into the position of working working that hard to almost an unhealthy point that that is actually like that's that we we have taught ourselves to think that that is healthy mm. and that that is good and that is what we need to do because that is what will make us successful but then there's this whole other way of thinking about it that's like do what you love do it until it doesn't work and then <laughs> move on mm-hmm. and then um and find joy and like that's the the joy is the thing that i I strive for mm-hmm. and I think that it's in music and I think that it's in writing music and creating music and I definitely it's definitely in performing for me mm-hmm. that's when I feel the most me mm. is when I'm performing but uh but it takes a lot of work to get to that point um and I think that that is also kind of like this weird myth I've believed for a long time. I don't, I don't think that it's healthy for, I mean, I think uh, Americans especially are taught to work really extra hard. And I think that quarantine and COVID has taught us that actually, mm, no, no, we can probably survive with a lot less work and we can survive with a lot fewer items in our homes and we can, Mm. you know, survive with a simpler, uh, 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 what's it called food palette and like you know <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah it's it's trying to figure out like what like what i always hate this like like when you say like what to be successful it's like <laughs> well the older i get the more i i and even just in talking to my students i'm acutely aware of how relative that is person to person like mm-hmm. somebody sees me in so percussion as successful but then somebody else's version of success might go away. They might redefine that for so once they realize how much money I make, you know, <laughs> yeah. like it, because that's part of some people's equation. It's not that it's not part of mine. I want to make as much money as I can because I'd like to be comfortable. It's, mm-hmm. it's easier to be, to have money than it is to not have it. And is it for, though? Well, it solves more problems than not having it. Does it though? I don't know. I feel that way. I'm not <laughs> so sure that it's true. See, but but what I'm saying is, like, I, I, I would like to have enough money where I cannot have to worry about helping my friends if I need – if they need, like, 500 bucks. Yeah. Like, I would love to have enough money to feel like that was easy. Right. Um, but I don't – that's not why I – I don't have that money, and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Because I do enjoy – I get enough emotional currency out of what I do. Um, and I guess I just am trying to not care what other people – if people think I'm successful mm-hmm. 
And then that's where, like, if all you did from here on out, Aaron, and you never did anything new, but you just were like, you know what? Fucking drone choir. That's the thing. Baby girl, I love that. And that is, that's okay with you. Then, then that has to be the answer, right? <laughs> like It has like, to be. It has to be the answer. Other, otherwise, you're just going to be spinning your, spinning your wheels. Yep. Yep. What was I going to say? Oh, I, I watched this program um, about, um, what was it called? Generation Wealth. Mm. Do you see this? I think it's I've on Netflix. It go by on Netflix, but I've never watched it. It is interesting. And yet it's basically like, here's a bunch of like people who you would think of are successful, but like their lives are wacky and they're depressed and they, they don't have any real relationships with anybody. And like, and we're, we're all obsessed with mm-hmm. being famous and rich and like, what does that actually do for anybody? You want to be, I mean, do you really want to live like, um, let's take Taylor Swift, for example, who has a, uh, a stalker room and bodyguards and can't walk around on the street or Britney Spears or Britney Spears. Um, her dad and, owns uh, her. Anybody. <laughs> what? Her dad owns her. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like that's fucked up. It's so fucked up. And like, yeah, no, I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. That actually sounds pretty like a bummer. (laughs) Or say what you want. Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. I mean, lots of examples mm -hmm. of like what what I wouldn't want out of fame and fortune and so on and so forth. But then but yet I still strive for something like it. What is that? Stupid is what that is. (laughs) That's why I've decided I'm just going to make long fingernails out of paper. They're bass. They're the rest for playing of bass life. guitar, right? What? They're for playing bass guitar. Yeah. Can I ask you a, a final question that's not maybe a, a deep like topic related question, but it's something I saw on speaking of your social media that I've been following. Uh-oh. You were just on a an all-lady bike ride. Oh, yeah, motorcycles. And uh, I, can you tell me a little bit about, about what was that? And how um, was that? It's a motorcycle rally for ladies, mm-hmm. for women, um, female-identified folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's just something that happens every year. It's like a rally, but no men are allowed. And it's, I don't know, it's like, I find it a little... There's there's parts of it that I find really cheesy, like, ugh, I don't understand how, like, the music is so basic. <laughs> the music that they play at the basic, parties. Is it basic white, basic white girl music? Fucking basic <laughs> as shit. It's just, oh, of course you're going to fucking sing that L7 song now. Ugh. What's L7? Or, I, actually, I don't know if it's L7 or who. <laughs> oh, Born on Blondes? Is it is that it? See, I don't even know. It's just like that basic to me. <laughs> like Lilith, like Lilith, Lilith, Lilith Fair compilations and you know. Oh, there's no no, definitely not Lilith Fair. There's nobody singing Enya or um, <laughs> Sarah McLaughlin. That's not happening. Okay, no, they're right, like yeah. they're they're like uh, 
They want the anthems. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. They want the anthems. And so, so how- they're all singing the anthems for karaoke. I sang Michael McDonald this time. I sang. I sang. They didn't have yeah. ancient tool gadget on the. Um- I asked them if they had Buchan Gaze. <laughs> Obviously not. I listen. I think there's some money to be made there, Aaron. If we we should do like a, a music minus one karaoke thing for our album. Cool. Are you gonna sing it? Sure. I want to see you sing Ancient Tool Gadget. No, no, no. Diazepam. You want to sing Diazepam? Okay. Yeah, because all you have to do is stand on stage and go. <laughs> is that all you have to do? Pretty much. Yeah. Press a button on something that's plugged into something. And go. <laughs> I just want you to do that again. <laughs> Josh Quillen takes requests. Oh, Aaron, I am grateful that you nudged me to speak this morning. I appreciate it. And likewise, you are. I appreciate you being a texting buddy throughout all of the pandemic. Um, there are a handful of people that I can count on my hand <laughs> that serendipitously for one reason or another reached out to me and we stayed in contact the moment the pandemic happened. And I feel like Mm -hmm. you were one of those people Mm -hmm. and there's a handful of people who are still reaching out. And I, and there's a lot of people who aren't. And I appreciate, I appreciate that. A lot of things have changed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I appreciate, I appreciate your staying power, Aaron. That's what I'm saying. Thanks. Likewise. I'm glad you were doing this. Thanks for having me on pre, mid, mid again, late mid. We're post. Late. I'm I'm and I'm calling is, post. We're post. You think this is post? At some point, it it is going to be, and I just decided it's. I mean, I wear my mask if I need to, and like I'm not I'm not out there banging the anti-mask drum, but for my mental sanity, I have to wake up and be like, all right. Right. It's over. Yep. Yeah. I think I think a lot of us have to do that. Otherwise, I mean, it's the. I went to the grocery store the other day, first time without a mask, and I walked in. I was like holding my breath, and it was like super weird. And I was like, "Why don't you just, you know, breathe?" Yeah. <laughs> it was totally fine. <laughs> you know, none of the the, the like ninety year old bagger who was wearing a mask since March, not wearing a mask anymore. And I was like, "Hi, Harold. How are you?" And he's like, "I'm great." It's like, you know what? If 81-year-old Harold was great without a mask, I got to trust 81-year-old Harold. Yeah, totally. It's good to hear somebody say that, too. How are you? I'm great. I'm doing well. And to be able to see their mouth make those sounds. <laughs> yeah. I'm super fine. <laughs> You're a super fan? Super fine. How are you? You're super, super fine. Fu- Super oh. fine. Super fine. Okay. <laughs> um, well, Aaron. Hey, this has been great. Let's talk again. Yeah. <clears throat> Soon. Let's wrap this up. Let's just stare. Why don't we do this to end the podcast? Let's just look at each other as if one of us is about to say something, and then I'll just end the Zoom session, and that'll be the end of the podcast. But be- well, be- not right, not yet. Hold on a second. Aaron, you're playing the bit too early. <laughs> I know you're a yes and person, but we're not in the bit yet. Um, I just, <laughs> I just want to say I love you dearly. I hope you stay healthy. And um, oh, there was one more thing I was going to say. Oh, Jesus Christ! 
shit never ends. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Liquid Drum. Liquiddrum.com down in Waco, Texas. Uh, my good friend Todd Meehan runs an amazing percussion company down there. Great merch, great content. Check him out. Liquiddrum.com. Also, Kyle Dunleavy, dunleavypans.com, D-U-N-L-E-A-V-Y pans.com. Kyle Dunleavy makes and builds all the steel drums that I perform and teach on uh, in so percussion as well as at NYU and Princeton. Uh, he's an amazing, amazing tuner builder, um, just a really nice guy, very dependable. Check him out. If you are interested at all in steel pan advocacy, uh, want to learn more about the goings-on uh, in Pan in Brooklyn, check out paninmotion.com. My good friend Kendall Williams, uh, Jerry Guy, Trisha Guy, and uh, Arisha John run an amazing organization called paninmotion.com. Check them out. And finally, Aleandre Mirage runs an amazing uh, clothing apparel company in Brooklyn that is steel pan-centric. You can check him out at mangochowclothing.com. I own a bunch of his shirts. They're amazing, very stylish, uh, beautiful, beautifully made. Check them out. MangoChowClothing.com. Okay, hope you're well. Talk to you soon. Bye.